After an incredible previous episode, Michael Loria rejoins me on the Modern Warrior podcast. Looking myself in the mirror in that moment and taking responsibility for who I had become because I couldn't blame anybody else for opening a bottle of wine and drinking it. Nobody else did that except for me. I couldn't blame anyone else for um, almost taking my own life. Michael is the founder and creator of Forging Excalibur, a premium worldwide men's coaching movement and organization based in Melbourne, Australia. Ultimately, we all get to a point where we realize that it's actually not everybody else and everything else. It's actually us. We have made the choices to get ourselves to the point at which we have. We are the architects of our reality and we're the creators of our future. That my children are probably suffering more than me. And so these are some of the things that I would go back and change if I could. Michael is passionate about helping men actualize their limitless potential. This podcast is here to offer you the tools and strategies that you need to level up your life as a man in today's world. Michael, absolutely delighted to have you back on the Modern Warrior podcast. We had an epic conversation the last time you were here, so I'm really looking forward to this with you. Thank you, Gavin. Me too, man. Yeah. How's life been since? Life has been very good. We're growing, developing, moving forward. Um, adding more resources. It's great. I'm loving, loving what we do. Excellent, man. I know in the last podcast, we, we spoke a lot about your past and a lot of the difficulties that you had to overcome from your previous marriage, from alcoholism, from almost taking your own life to losing your kids. And I feel it'd be extremely valuable to the listeners to hear about your journey from that point to become the man you are today and to bring to this area of your life today and of course the evolution of forging Excalibur as well and how that's come to be so perhaps if we could bring it back to maybe back towards the pit that you were in for a period of time and how you evolved from that point or how you managed to get out of that place towards something better in your life today mm. so I think what we talked about last time was more about uh, how I got to that point Mm-hmm. and and the circumstances around that. And I, I think I remember where we kind of left off was that I started putting my life back together again and then started working with men. Yes. So I guess what you're asking is how did I put my life back together? Is that exactly. pretty yeah, much where yeah. we want to go yeah, here? Yeah. yeah, it's uh, sort of the evolution from picking up the pieces to become the man you are today and, of course, how you're now helping other men come out of their pit and to move forward towards uh, a better life, more fulfilled life towards leveling up their life in whatever capacity. So, you know what, Gavin, one of the fundamental things that I had back then was a mentor, Um, somebody, somebody who I could actually speak to and speak with and have guidance from because, and one of the wonder that one of the biggest things he taught me back then was don't ever determine your future by what's happening right now in life and who you are right now. That was one of the biggest things that he taught me back then. And, and some people might, some people might say, well, that's obvious. You know, we, we move forward, we evolve, life changes, circumstances change, but I'll tell you what, a lot of men would be able to um, relate to this when I say that you don't always think that way when you're in the pit, when you're, when you're in the depths of hell, when you're feeling like life is just, ridiculously horrible in every way and waking up in the morning is terrifying because you don't know what you're going to face 
within more so than anything else. To then begin to imagine a life that's beyond that, where you are happy, fulfilled, purposeful, um, perhaps you're financially secure, perhaps there's no, no problem with alcohol or any other addiction that might be present, you know, and living a life that actually feels meaningful. It's a bit of a stretch, Gavin. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a stretch to go from places like where I was and where a lot of men end up to even conceptualize where I could be and where I am now. If you had have told me that I'd be doing what I do now, feeling the way that I feel now, having the life that I'm living right now, I would have said to you, that's ridiculous. There's no way I can go from here to over there. There's no way. And, and like 15 years, I don't want to wait 15 years. I want it now, mm-hmm. but it's an evolution. It's an evolution over those 15 years. You can't go from, I couldn't have gone from where I was to where I am now without everything in between. And that's all the lessons and the experience and the wisdom that you get from experience. So, you know, you gather knowledge about different things. You have experience in life and all of that culminates into hopefully wisdom, you know, and then you use that wisdom to hopefully contribute to others and help the rest of the world in whatever way you can. Is the wisdom, do you find it's found in the lessons from experience or a change in perspective in terms of seeing the experience as something bad, something destructive that happened in your life and instead seeing it as something positive that's going to enable you to grow forward towards becoming a stronger, more resilient man. You know, that you, if you can, mm-hmm. if you can overcome this and the difficulties of this situation, that it strengthens your resolve to be able to take on more challenges in life. So I'm, I'm sort of curious in terms of what was the turning point for yourself from, as I said, life crumbling down on top of you to then having the courage or the inspiration to be able to get back up again and move forward towards beginning a, a new journey to become the man you are today and to do what you're doing mm-hmm. today. What was the turning point? Well, the, cat- the catalyst was that moment when I almost took my own life. That was the catalyst. And then realizing what I was about to do and the repercussions and the consequences of that. And also on top of that as well, understanding that what I was about to do, how that might negatively impact my children, you know, because as fathers, you're a father, I'm a father. So as a, as a, as fathers, it's like our children are our world. They absolutely are, you know, and, and I'm sure you do the same thing as I do. It's like, how is this thing that I'm going to do or this choice that I'm going to make or this direction that I'm going to head in? How might that affect my family? What example am I setting for my children? You know, and I didn't always think this way, but in those moments, I did. I did. You know, prior to that, I wasn't a very good quality person. I created that whole scenario, that whole reality. I created that. That was my responsibility. There was a time when I blamed my ex-wife, right? There was a time when I blamed my ex-wife. But at the end of the day, I mean, she was always going to be whoever she is going to be. And whoever she is now, that's her destiny. But I could always have changed. I could always have been different. I could always have made better choices. I could always have chosen to behave differently and show up differently. And it's highly likely that if I did, I would have experienced a different version of her as well. And perhaps, and perhaps what did happen um, may not have happened, you know? So this is all about, you know, big pieces around responsibility and looking myself in the mirror in that moment and taking responsibility for who I had become because I couldn't blame anybody else for opening a bottle of wine and drinking it. Like nobody else did that except for me. 
I couldn't blame anyone else for um, almost taking my own life, ending up on antidepressants, sleeping tablets, et cetera, et cetera. Like we get to, we do blame other people along the way. It's like, oh, if it wasn't for her or him or that or this or something else, I wouldn't be in this position right now. But ultimately we all get to a point where we realize that it's actually not everybody else and everything else. It's actually us. We have made the choices to get ourselves to the point at which we have. We, we are the architects of our reality and we're the creators of our future, right? And as soon as we assign that power to somebody else, we're giving every little bit of, every little bit of, um, <clears throat> well, it's the same word, right? Every little bit of power over to somebody or something else to create our future and our reality. It's very disempowering as a man to feel that somebody else is in total control of your future. Mm-hmm. So I reckon that was the point, Gavin. It was that point when I realized that everything up until then, it was all on me. And I still didn't learn my lesson fully, you know, because you get to that point and you put the main parts of your life back together. So I stopped drinking. I stopped taking antidepressants. I got a job again. Um, I, I turned my life around and I fixed most things. The really bad shit that was going wrong, I fixed it. The obvious stuff, I fixed it. But the not so obvious stuff, was, which was ego, attitude, and not really taking responsibility at the level at which I could have. I took responsibility to the point where I put my life back together, where I was functioning reasonably normally in life. And for all intents and purposes, I was a normal human being operating in life normally. But underneath the surface, there was still a lot of anger, still a lot of frustration, still a lot of resentments, still a lot of all of that bubbling below the surface. And so whilst temporarily I put my life back together, it didn't stay together for a long period of time, right? Because I still had lessons to learn. I never descended back into the same pit again, right? But I behaved differently in other areas of life. So once I got my kids back and I got a job and things were okay financially, I I became a bit more complacent. And so I started behaving a little bit more arrogantly in certain areas, right? Especially with my ex-wife. Right, because my my perception of my life back then that led me to that point of almost taking my own life, my internally, for me in that moment, it was all her fault. Right. And whilst in that, in those moments, I took responsibility for putting the major parts of my life back together, um, underneath it all, I still was very resentful towards her and I still blamed her for a lot of things. And it hasn't been until, you know hand on heart and being very transparent about this hasn't been until recent years where I've actually sort of gone, yeah, okay, well, maybe she contributed. We co-created the whole experience and situation together, but I could have shown up so much better in all of that. And if I did, maybe that might've inspired different behavior in her, who knows, but either way, at least I could have behaved better. And that was on me. Mm. Is there anything you would have changed? In that process, well, it seems like you, in, in that process, you were, you, you first started with maybe the surf, surface level stuff before going yep. deeper within and, of course, trying to come to peace with the anger, the resentment that you had underneath mm-hmm. and the ego, of course. Would you have changed anything in that process? Would you have gone deeper first and then? You know, Gavin, there? so many people might answer that question and say, no, I wouldn't change a thing because if I change something, then I wouldn't be who I am today. Right. So that's the, that's the standard 
cliche response, but I don't have that response. My response is partly that, partly no, I wouldn't be the man that I am now if I didn't go on the journey of learning about myself and going through all those struggles and facing the pitfalls and the hurdles and the barriers and the blocks and finding a way to navigate through them. No, I wouldn't be who I am and I wouldn't be what I'm I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Having said all of that, I wonder if it had to be as hard as what it was. I just wonder if it had to be that hard. And maybe I still would have learned enough lessons along the way to still get to this point of awareness, to still get to this point of peace, to still get to this point that I'm the life that I'm living now. Maybe it didn't have to be that hard for me. Maybe it didn't have to be that hard for my children. Maybe it didn't have to be that hard. So are there things that I would change? Probably. If I could go back and change some things and still end up where I am now, but the things that I changed made the experience more positive, um, better for myself and my children, absolutely I would change things. What those things are, I don't know. Ego? But, Compassion? Um, yes, th- yes, definitely. I could have been a lot. Yes, definitely. I could have had a lot more compassion. So I could have had a lot more compassion for a lot of things myself. I could have had a lot of comp- a lot more compassion for my ex-wife and 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 what she was dealing with with two children who were suffering and struggling through a divorce and parents not getting on. I could have had a lot more compassion for her um, in those years. I could have had a lot more compassion for my children and I could have put aside my own shit because. I was frustrated and angry with the life that I was living and I was struggling. I was always struggling financially, always struggling emotionally, trying to put food on the table. I would literally save, uh, you know, a dollar here and $5 there and whatever I could just so that when I saw my children every fortnight for the weekend, I had enough money to just do one thing with them. So we didn't have to stay at home inside all the time. I could, we could just go out and do one thing, whether it was to go to the cinema or go out for lunch and have a burger, you know, just one thing. And so, um, yeah, I could have had a lot more compassion for a lot of things and a lot of people at that time. I could have eased up on the ego a lot because I felt there was a part of me that felt like I was entitled now because of what I had put up with and faced prior. So there was there was some entitlement there. And there was also partly there was a bit of revenge. There was a bit of a need for revenge. It's like, well, now that I've got my children back, I'm going to prove to them how good a father I am and how much you've lied to them all these years, right? And so you do a lot in that mindset that you wouldn't normally do, overcompensating, not actually being a good parent by just saying yes to everything, not wanting to create um, disconnect between me and my children because we had an environment there where the children learned that, if I said, if I raised my voice, they would go back and say, daddy yelled at us, right? And then they, then I wouldn't be able to see them, right? Because apparently I was then aggressive and, and perhaps violent, not that I was violent. But there was all these, all these mechanics and dynamics happening in the background. So, and there was a lot of stuff to deal with, Gavin. There was a lot of stuff to deal with. And it was only at the point of, it was only at that point that I actually began my journey of self-awareness. Prior to that, and that was at 33, you know, 33, 34 years old. Prior to that, I had no sense of self, no sense of self-awareness, no real idea of uh, childhood and subconscious programming and how the mind works and how I was programming my children in each and every moment, you know. 
I had no idea about emotional regulation. I had no idea about how we as parents are responsible to help our children emotionally regulate themselves. You know, there was none of this. And I did not in any moment really consider that my children were probably suffering more than me. And so these are some of the things that I would go back and change if I could a lot more compassion for my children, a lot more patience for my children, a lot more patience, a lot more acceptance, a lot more understanding, um, much less ego, uh, taking more responsibility for myself and how I showed up as a parent and an ex-husband as well. You know, yes. So there's a lot of those sorts of things that I would want to change. Mm -hmm. So from the age of 33, 34, again, there was another catalyst of, of change there. Something happened and you started to look within and did this that, come? That was, that was the, that was when I almost took my own life oh, that was that. around that age. Okay. Okay. Around that age. So where so was that? Yeah. Where did the, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a mentor, where did the mentor sort of come into your life and how did that significantly, I'm sure it did significantly improve your life? That was around a year later, around a, around a year after that. So this was when I was, starting to get complacent again things had fallen back into place and things felt comfortable again and then i got complacent and then one day my son who was about 13 at the time or 14 he said to me dad you're getting angry again right and so um for me after going through what i had gone through a year before that was enough you know i didn't have to go any further than that as soon as my son said dad you're getting angry again um, I remember that was a Sunday and I took them back to their mother on that Sunday afternoon after having them for the weekend. And I sat with myself and I thought, I don't want to go down the path that I did a year ago. I don't want to start down that path again. Maybe now is the time to get some help, find somebody to help me go a little bit deeper. You know, Because if my 13-year-old son has recognized this, then I should be taking a lot more responsibility. Mm-hmm. So that was when... I started reaching out to people in my network at the time and came across this guy um, in here in, in Victoria, in Australia where I live. And he, he sort of said to me, and he was a beautiful man. He's passed away now, but he was a beautiful older man. He would have been in his sixties back then. And he said, I won't charge you anything, Michael. I just, I really want to help you because you've got children and et cetera, et cetera. So he helped me and he was a mentor to me and he had studied a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Napoleon Hill's work and Jim Rowan's work as well. And so he was actually very, a very wise mentor and he taught me a lot of cool things. But one of the things, as I said earlier, that he taught me was around imagining the future version of yourself and what you have the potential to, potent- to possibly create, right? And he actually got me to write out something which I, in years after that, I realized was a self-image, right? And... Um, and there's a book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, if you haven't heard of it. Psycho-Cybernetics, very good book. It's about all about self-image. It's all about consciously creating the next version of ourselves and what we believe about ourselves and our potential. And he had me read that book. And I read the book cover to cover, did all the exercises, created my self-image and sat back and read my self-image. And I'm like, wow, can I really create that? Can I really create that version of myself? And then he sat me down and we sat, we went to a restaurant for lunch and we had, um, I'll never forget this. We had burgers and fries and he sat, we sat there for two hours and he shared with me who he was 
at my age. So he was in his 60s and he shared with me who he was and what kind of a man he was in his early 30s. Not a lot different to what I was like back then either. And he said to me, I traversed this path. I went on my hero's journey. I navigated uh, my life and this is where I've ended up. And he said, I've learned some things. And he said, you will learn some things too, Michael. And he said, but things, the, fun, the most fundamental thing that you need to learn is that you have the potential to create whatever reality you want. And so he died about seven or eight years after that. But during that period of time, he taught me a lot. He taught me, he got me reading Psycho-Cybernetics, Think and Grow Rich, um, you know, so many other things that I learned from him. And I would say that he was the, he was the catalyst really and what he taught me. So there's two catalysts. The catalyst of almost taking my own life woke me up and jolted me into, into acknowledging how far I'd fallen. Okay. So that was the point that I realized how far I'd fallen and I swore I'd never get back there again. And then the second, the second catalyst was him and his mentoring, his stories and the wisdom that he shared with me. And I would say that it was when I met him and when I started working with him and when I learned some of the things that I learned then, which now I understand are the foundational basics of personal development, but back then they blew my mind, right? Of things like just things like fixed versus growth mindset, the ability for us to be able to emotionally regulate ourselves, um, the drama triangle, right? Basic shadow work. Uh, self-image, the importance of having connecting with a set of standards like that, that we hold ourselves to as men. And ironically enough, these are some of the foundations of my work in Forging Excalibur. This is where men start. They start with the basics, emotional regulation, drama triangle, um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, growth versus fixed mindset, basic shadow work, right? This is where they start in the initiation. And that's where I started. And I remember the transformation that I experienced just by doing those simple things. I didn't believe they were simple things at the time. To me, they were complicated, high-level personal development things, you know. But now, 15 years down the track, it's like they're the foundations. If I didn't have those foundations, there's no way you can build anything without those foundations. So I would say that he was really the catalyst for me, for motivating me, uh, I guess, or creating that intrinsic motivation within me to want to be inspired to do or to carry on his work mm -hmm. in some way, you know? Was changing, changing your inner narrative was a major part of it, yeah? Oh, yes. Yes, Gavin. The things I would tell myself, the things I would say to myself, you're an idiot. I hate you. You fucking dickhead. You're a failure. You're this, you're that. You know, and the things that I would say to myself, it's no wonder it is absolutely no wonder I sunk to the levels that I did. It's no wonder. Because that internal dialogue, you know, we can be our own worst enemy. We don't need people to say horrible things to us, to our faces, because we say even worse things to ourselves. Mm -hmm. is, that yeah. where, <clears throat> is that where you feel a lot of men need to begin, is to change that narrative in terms of, uh, I mentioned earlier, having a bit of self-compassion for your situation, yep. understanding that you're here, in the pit and it may not be completely your fault that you've got to this area. You've had maybe underlying pain or difficulties that have influenced your behavior that you were simply unaware of. However, give yourself uh, 
some level of compassion, but then, as I said, understand then too that you've got you've got to take complete ownership and responsibility of the situation right now to move forward and move beyond it. But it starts with, of course, having the compassion to know that, yes, it may not be your fault that you're here, but also the, the compassion, the self-compassion to know that you deserve better than this as well. You can improve in the situation. You can be happy again. Or is there something else there that you would begin with? No, they're, def- they're, they're definitely good starting points. That's for sure. The challenge with that is actually believing it. You know, in those in those moments, actually believing that we deserve compassion, we deserve self compassion, that we are we we do have the potential for more, that we can recreate ourselves, right? Because I didn't believe any of that at the time. Uh, you have to get to a certain point, like you have to. Ex- I, I truly believe. I don't like uh, even considering this, but I truly believe that men, especially men, not so much women, but especially men, need to get to the fucking depths of hell. They need to experience the most horrible chaos in their lives most of the time in order to realize how far they've sunk and that they need to take some responsibility because, because the fact is as we're failing and we know we're failing, not until, until we're failed, while we're failing, there's too much conditioning in society as boys and as men for us to even acknowledge that we are failing. We would rather keep on being in a sinking ship with a bucket and madly, you know, trying to get the water out of the, out of the boat, thinking it's okay. The whole will just fix itself. If I just keep on taking the water out of the, out of the, uh, out of the boat with the bucket, somehow the whole will just magically fill itself, right? Fix itself. And this is the analogy that I sometimes use for us men when we're, when we're trying madly to avoid dealing with something you know, there's a hole in the boat. We don't want to look at the hole in the boat. We'd rather just continue to try and get as much water out as we can, as quickly as we can, hoping that the hole will just magically fix itself. And until the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the boat starts sinking and we realize we have no, that we're powerless to stop it, okay, it's only when we start drowning that we go, oh, shit, I have to do something. Mm-hmm. And only then do we start, you know, if we use this, if we carry that analogy on to its logical conclusion, then we end up seeing the man in the water splashing around madly, calling for help, right? When he should have called for help, when he realized that there was a hole in the boat mm-hmm. before the boat sunk and he started drowning. So I don't like to, I don't like to go to these places, but the fact is that after 15 years of working with men and I've worked with thousands of men, I would say 80% of the men that come to me are at that point where the boats drowned, you know, and they are literally drowning themselves. And, you know, you got to kind of reach in and grab them and pull them out and go, you can swim, you know, do you remember you, you can swim. And it's like, Oh fuck. Yeah, I can swim. And they, and you kind of then start swimming beside them, you know, until they pick themselves up and start doing it themselves. And you teach them the things that they need to know along the way. But um, yeah. And I remember that time in my life where I forgot that I could swim. I just forgot that I could swim. Mm-hmm. No, I forgot that I had the power to dig myself out of a hole. I forgot the fact that I had hands that could claw my way out. And I knew how to use a shovel and dig myself out, you know, and swim or whatever other analogy you want to use. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget. Would you have reached out for help sooner? No. No. Because I hadn't yet failed. Okay. I, I hadn't yet failed so completely that um, there was no other option. Mm-hmm. but this is no different to most men, but here's the difference, right? This was, 
this was 17 years ago. 17 years ago, we didn't have access to the internet like we do now. You know, we didn't have access to YouTube and social media like we do now and information at our fingertips. You can go on YouTube and learn anything that you want about personal development, about anything to do with how the mind works. There are books available for free. You can download books, eBooks. You can listen to podcasts. You can watch YouTube videos. There is no excuse anymore for drowning to those depths, right? There is no excuse in the past. I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, but in the, in the past, we used to have to actually, if we wanted access to information, we used to have to find our way to a library and sit there and go find the book that we needed, right? Intentionally. But these days you can go to Google and you can go, how do I stop being depressed? Yeah. Right. Or how do I cure anxiety or whatever it might be that you want to fix about your life, right? How do I feel better about myself? How do I, how do I learn how to be a man? How do I develop more confidence? We can put all this stuff in Google and we can get our answers, or at least we can get something that helps us mm-hmm. in those initial stages. So from, as far as I'm concerned, there's no excuse anymore. We have access at, to our, at our fingertips to the knowledge and wisdom available in the world. We have all the information and the knowledge, but again, it's the implementation that people fall down on. And that's why I feel we need someone like myself or yourself as a mentor, as a guide, yep. as someone to be accountable to, to make sure that they're applying the knowledge that they've received. I agree. I agree. Absolutely. Because I took myself a certain, a certain way with uh, books. You know, you could, you could obviously go to a bookstore and buy books, but you had to know what to buy. You couldn't Google and say, what's the top 10 personal development books in the world like you can now, right? So you had to have someone tell you what the best ones to read were. And then you could go buy them. And I read two or three books, some of the ones that I talked to you about, and they were instrumental in helping me get to a certain level, to a certain level of inner self-awareness. And then it was up to me to then, to then go, go, go deeper. Mm-hmm. And that involved more another mentor, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and the, and the journey just continued. Mm-hmm. The journey just continued. So when did it be, when did you then become the mentor? When did forging Excalibur come to be during that process? Did it did did it evolve from your own progressive process of self-development and self-growth? Were you when you began the journey of working with other men, were you still working on many areas of yourself? And or did you get to a certain point where you felt like, you know what, I've got all the knowledge now. I've got to this point in my life, I feel empowered. I feel like I've got the information and the wisdom to help other men through difficult situations in their life. So where did that begin to fit into your life or where did that, where did that begin? Soon after, soon after um, I started talking with that mentor that I told you about, um, he said to me, look, Michael, you know something that's going to be very healing for you. You've gone, you've gone to a certain point uh, you know, of self-awareness. He said, maybe you should start creating um, discussion groups or support groups for other men going through divorce. Cool. That'd be cool. I could go out there and start to help others and share my experiences and they can share theirs. And maybe I can share some of the knowledge that has helped me and just see where it goes. And so I started doing that and I did that for about a year or so. And it was really, it was a beautiful experience for these men just to come and we would literally sit and we would talk and we would cry and we'd share. And, and, but the objective was always let's talk and cry and share and support each other, but then let's transition into solutions. Let's transition into 
empowered action rather than meet once a week and cry and share, right, and stay victims in our situation. Let's actually try to transition out of that and see if we can create some positive results, you know, as a consequence of meeting and having this sharing circle that we had. So I did that for about 12 months and, and then I started one-on-one. Then I, as, as I was doing that for 12 months, I went and um, got my counseling diploma. So I became a qualified counselor. And then I started counseling men one-on-one as well. Transitioned out of the, out of the groups into one-on-one counseling. And I did that for about a year or so. And something that I realized was that men kept on coming back every week for their session with me, but they would leave the session and they'd be, I feel so much better, Michael. Thank you so much. All good. See you next week. And so they'd come back next week and they'd be just as bad as they were at the beginning of the first session, right? And I started seeing a pattern and it was like counseling was good to a certain point. Counseling helped people to, you know, speak about their problems, share whatever was on their mind, et cetera, et cetera. It never really helped them with a process of healing. It just helped them to unload, you know, um, but didn't touch the deeper surface. So I got curious and I thought there's a lot more underneath the surface here that I'm not seeing. So I went out on my own and I went and studied psychology and I studied neuroscience and I started understanding neuropsychology as well. And I did all of these other studies over the next two years and then began to adapt my method and I changed my method and it became more a mentoring, coaching, um, I say practice instead of counseling and psychology. And it's evolved in, into what it is now, which is basically a culmination of all of my personal experience, the solutions that I found that worked for me and that have worked for many other men, um, the education that I've undergone, plus the experience that I've had in one-on-one coaching, one-on-one counseling, one-on-one psychotherapy, et cetera, et cetera. And just the foundational things that have worked over the years. And so about three years ago, four years ago, I said to my wife, my current wife, I said to her, I think I want to write a book for men. I just don't know what to write about. You know, I think I've got enough now. I don't think I, I don't think you've ever got it all. I don't think you ever know everything, but but um, I said, I think I have enough now to put together a reasonable, a reasonably good book that can help men with the foundations. And it's like, oh, she's and, and she was very supportive and she said, What are you going to call it? And I said, No idea. No idea, right? And then you go through all of the uh, imposter syndrome stuff as well. You know, it's like, who am I to write a book and who's going to read it? And do I really have all this wisdom and knowledge? And are people just going to laugh at me? And what are people going to say and think? And I went through that for about six months and then I just snapped myself out of it. And then I decided, I thought, okay, no, I'm going to write this book. This was in the November. I'm going to write this book and the title will come to me. And so one morning at about 2 a.m. in the morning, I woke bolt upright in bed, I had this vision of a sword in flames and the word Excalibur. It was ridiculous, Gavin. I just woke up and I had this vision in my mind and I thought, what the fuck is that? But it was there. It was burnt into my consciousness. I couldn't, I closed my eyes. It was still there. I thought, no, nah, I've got to get up and do this. So 2 a.m. I got up, I went downstairs to my office, which was a very cold garage at the time. And uh, I had a couple of whiteboards and I researched things I had to look up. I knew what Excalibur was, of course, and the Knights of the Round Table and all of that. But I wrote these things up on my whiteboard. It was Excalibur forging, um, crafting, like um, sword, knights. I just wrote up all these, all these random words that came to me. And then I started thinking about 
a sword and what and creating a sword. So I went online and I and I googled how do you forge a sword? You know, how do you create a sword? And then I watched this YouTube video on the process of forging a sword. I thought, you know what? That's a very similar process that I've been through and most other men have been through because you think about it, right? It starts off as a useless hunk of metal, right? And it gets, it gets you, you dip it into the fire. So we say that could be adversity being dipped, being, being thrust into the fire, right? And then it comes out of the fire and then you hammer it and you fold it and you shape it, right? And this is about, this is about the, the, the lessons that we learn right and and every and then it gets put aside to cool after that and then it gets thrust back into the fire again more adversity and we come and each and every step of the way it becomes a different version of itself and each and every time it goes through that process it strengthens right until and you and that process ha- can happen dozens of times with this hunk of metal on its journey towards becoming something useful which is a sword i thought that's it so i thought I can, and then I wrote up. I wrote up all of the steps on how a sword gets forged. A, B, C, D. This is what it is, right? Fire, hammer, um, fold, shape, craft, cool, all the whatever it was. And then I went to the other column, and I'm like, okay, cool. So this is this is adversity. This is um, the embodiment of the lessons. This is then the next adversity. This is the next embodiment of the lessons. This is what happens when you reflect and you internalize everything. And it's like, this happens over and over again in our lives. And what happens each and every time we get stronger, we become a different version of ourselves. It's perfect. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to use that analogy. I'm going to go with that. And of course the word Excalibur had come to me already. So it was pretty easy forging Excalibur because essentially what we want to do is we are forging ourselves. It's not a new concept, forging ourselves into the version of ourselves that we want to carry through life. And then the next stage after that is crafting, right? So what do we do when we craft? Then when a, when a, when a knight crafts his sword, that's when he starts to think about the sheath and the hilt. What does a hilt look like? Is it going to be leather? What, what color leather? What's the inscription on the blade? You know, it's all very personalized. And that's the journey of continuing to grow, build, evolve, and strengthen ourselves and become a different version of ourselves in each and every moment. Mm-hmm. And then there came all of the other things around King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, which comes with the legend of Excalibur. And the analogy there is that, you know, the men who sit around the round table, they're all equal. They're all just as powerful as each other. They're all equal. And so all men are equal. No one man sits above another. And then it was like, so these men that went on a journey to become knights, they would have had to have been a very different breed of man than your average peasant, right? Back in the day. So it's like, I wonder what kind of standards they would have had to embody. They would have had to learn things like loyalty, um, responsibility, honor, valor, compassion, chivalry, discernment. Uh, What else can we say? Integrity, uh, strength, courage. We can just keep on going, right? These eventually be disciplined. These eventually became the eight standards of men that I write about in my book. And these are the virtuous standards and traits that men on their journey towards knights had to embody to become knighted as a knight. So this is how it all evolved. Yeah, 2 a.m. in the morning for about six hours. Brilliant, yeah. It's, it's amazing how, that, how you've been able to uh, transfer that story into your own story and your own journey and, of course, other men's journeys today. And 
what does the what does the journey look like for you now as you look towards the future? What's what's ahead for Michael Loria? Um, I just wrote my I just wrote another book. So um, I wrote an addendum to Forging Excalibur, which is the eighth standard discipline. I'm I'm writing twelve rules for knights. So what's ahead of me in the future is just continuing to grow and build Forging Excalibur as a men's coaching brand, continuing to write books and branching out into more. So we're setting up a not-for-profit mm-hmm. a foundation here in Australia, and we're having all of our courses uh, internationally recognized as actual international recognized courses, which means then they get government funding and then they become available to men all around the world who can't afford um, the full price for our courses because they're government funded and subsidized. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be really just about making what we do available to millions upon millions of more men around the world. Mm -hmm. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah. Because you, again, you've been at that point yourself where you didn't perhaps have the money to be able to invest in a course like, like this. And you understand the difficulties that a lot of men may have when they actually want to reach out for help and improve and progress, but don't have the finances to do so, which is a very real problem. Mm. Yep, absolutely it is. And and we want to make what we do accessible to every every man around the world if we can. Brilliant. One of the other things that I'll I'll speak about very briefly as well in the context of our work, um, I I love Joseph Campbell's work around the hero's journey and Carl Jung's work around the shadow. And I've been a student of both of those remarkable men for 10 years or so now. And so it was important for me to create a fusion of you know personal development with with the legend of Excalibur and the Knights of the Round Table and also bring in all of Carl Jung's work around the shadow because that's important and that's that's the real deep work you know um, and also Joseph Campbell's work around the hero's journey the call to adventure that's very powerful as well that really speaks into the unconscious collective of men around who they want to become and their potential and to really become the hero of their own story and face their threshold guardians and not cower away from the dark cave because, you know, that's where the most amount of growth can happen. Mm-hmm. One of, one of, one of uh, not Carl Jung, one of um, Joseph Campbell's quotes, which everybody knows, the cave we fear to enter holds the treasure we seek, you know, and it's always that place within us. And the analogy is that place within us that we don't want to go to the place that we avoid it's in our shadow. It's in our unconscious mind, those places that we don't even admit to ourselves. The treasure that we seek is when we start exploring those dark areas of ourselves, you know, and the treasure is always the next version of ourselves, more self-awareness, deeper understanding, know thyself, Socrates said, right? So that's the journey of life, know thyself. And I think if, if, if life continues to be one hero's journey of knowing ourselves on deeper levels, then that's a life well lived. Yes, for sure, my man. Thank you for that. That's a very powerful statement to, to finish this brilliant podcast episode with you. And uh, again, if the guys want to reach out to you, know more about your work, get involved, where can they reach out, especially now as you're developing these programs that are government funding, funded and potentially help a lot more men. So yeah, where can they find you? Cool, man. So we've got a Facebook group called Forging Excalibur, the training ground. Uh, we're also on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, um, yep, Facebook, and forgingexcalibur.com. Nice one. I'll add all those links below. And 
yeah, I think it was TikTok. I, I came across you first of all, so you're absolutely smashing it there. <laughs> so uh, yeah, keep it coming. <laughs> I wouldn't have predicted it. I would not have predicted it. You know, Gavin, my wife said to me, "You should you should get a TikTok account." I'm like, "There's only 13 year old girls on TikTok, aren't there?" <laughs> and she said, "No, you'd be surprised." Yeah. And I went on there and I thought I saw all this crap. And I said, I am not going to put forging Excalibur on TikTok. We're better than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's all. That's, that's how it all starts, isn't it? That's, all, that's, that's how it all begins. Yeah, it starts at the top. I know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. And here we are. We've got, we've got one TikTok that's had about almost a million views. It's just crazy. It's just, a, it's just crazy what's happened with TikTok. Yeah, yeah, get on, yeah, definitely get on it. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for your content. Thanks so much for your time and energy here again and your inspiration. And yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure it'll be, We'll be speaking again when you've got your uh, second book out and we can maybe talk about that too whenever you've launched it. Yeah, so, I'd love to. Love to. That, my man. Thank you. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.